0: Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Isn't that a fun choir we have over here? It's a good looking group. Yeah. Well, you picked a a good day to be in church today. Not as if there's a bad day to be in church, but this message today, especially in our uh, text, is, I'll tell you what, a fantastic word for us. Whether you've been coming to church for years and years in this uh, and have been exposed to a lot of truth from God's word or you're here for the very first time, it's a good day to be in church and the reason why is because we're going to be looking this morning at God's Ultimate plan, what he's doing here, and how his plan relates to our lives. And so, for some of us that like a nice little overview or a synopsis, this morning's a good morning to be in church. I don't know if any of you grew up and enjoyed the benefit of cliff notes. Anybody uh, like Cliff Notes? And maybe some of us, that's how you made it through high school. Uh, I remember when I first discovered, I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, I don't have to read the whole book. I can get a summary. Well, this morning's a degree of a summary. And I was was thinking about, that's basically what a TED Talk is, right? It's Cliff Notes for adults. It's just a summary. It, It weeds away some of the fluff and gets to the main idea. And this morning, I feel like that's what our text does, is move straight to the point, the fact that we have a God And he has a plan that he's executing perfectly even in this moment. And I think for some of us in a a world that we're surrounded by chaos and craziness, and some of us, that's maybe just a word that we needed to hear this morning. That we do have a God, that he does have a plan I had a difficult afternoon, or actually early uh, afternoon yesterday, it was over at Los Robles uh, with a gentleman from our, our church, you might recognize his name, Thomas Hart, if you don't recognize the name, you may have seen him before, he carried a little chihuahua to church, There's not, wasn't a lot of people there, and uh, it, it, was, it was tough, it was tough yesterday to, to sit with, with Thomas as he actually breathed his last breaths here on earth. And just sitting there with him and his, his sister and just, just for me in that moment where I'm, I'm there just, just seeing the, the end of a life and thank the Lord he embraced Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior but seeing the end you need to be reminded that there is a plan. That God does have. He is reigning. This isn't just spiraling out of control, and that's why I'm so grateful for this text this morning, that clear reminder that we have a, a God, and he has a plan. Let's start by praying this morning. God, we thank you so much for that truth and that reality, even as we start to unpack this text this morning, that you're reigning over all, that nothing falls outside of your hand and even some of the things that are a product of of free will and are hard to to swallow and hard to to, uh, take in, God, I thank you that we can cling to the truth of your word, that you are a God who loves, you are a God who saves, you're a God that pursues, you're a God that makes things beautiful. God, we thank you for that here this morning. I pray that you'd be present now in this room, that your Holy Spirit would teach us from this text That you would be great and I'd be small. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. The first uh, thing we're gonna look at is the beginning of his plan. You can turn with me to Titus 2. We've been in this series for a while. 2 verses 11 through 15 is what we're gonna be looking at this morning. But starting to look at his plan, the bigger picture is this. And this is one of the things that gives us hope through some of the hardest time is that his plan starts with salvation, His plan starts with salvation. Look at verse 11, it says this, "'For the grace of God has appeared, "'bringing salvation for all people.'" The grace of God has appeared. That word grace, there's something about that. I I just love, love the word grace because really whether we realize it or not, grace is what our eternal destination hinges on. It hinges on God's unmerited favor on our behalf him reaching down to us through the form of Jesus Christ. Look what it says. For the grace of God has appeared. It had been over 400 years of silence since the last words of the Old Testament were written before grace finally appeared in the form of Jesus Christ, in the form of a baby in a manger. 400 years of silence So at that time, Paul's talking to an audience that knew what it was like to wait and be pretty excited about the appearing of grace, for the grace of God has appeared. Can you think back in your own life when grace first appeared to you, when your blinders finally came off, when when it finally was real to you that, whoa, grace has been extended to me. I couldn't fix myself. I couldn't solve this sin problem. I couldn't, I couldn't dig my way out of this, this gap, this chasm that was between me and Almighty God. There needed to be something that filled that gap and that's where grace appeared. Jesus Christ in the form of a man lived the perfect life as we've heard many, many times, lived as a sacrifice, died for the payment of my sins. When it says salvation, what is it talking about? Saved from what sin? Yes, yeah, sin, not, not just any sin, sin that debilitates and crushes human life and separates us from a holy God. That was the beginning of the plan being played out. What I love there, what it says about that, it says bringing salvation for all people, for all people. This isn't talking about universal salvation. Not everybody is going to embrace the free gift of grace, but it's a universal opportunity. A universal opportunity, it's extended to all people. Bring to mind even the people in your circle of influence, the people that you cross paths with. There's not a single person that this grace isn't, this potential for salvation isn't extended to. Your boss that you get annoyed with, your coworker that, that, uh, that you have lunch with, your, the person that cut you off on the 101 just yesterday, his grace, whether it's the person, let's take it even further, person you watched on the news last night in the story of murder, like the murderer, the, the rapist, the thief, his grace is extended to all people. But it's exactly that. It's an extension. It's an invitation that people have a choice to get in line with his plan. 1 Timothy 4.10 says this about God. God is savior, listen, savior of all men, especially of believers. It's a fascinating verse. Savior of all men. Savior in the sense of, if you think about it for all men, savior in the sense of delayed judgment. God could have, think about the angels when they chose to reject God, it was immediate judgment. For man, he gives us our 70, 80, 90, 100 years to make that decision what to do with his grace. That in itself is grace, if you think about it. I've had a few opportunities in my life to look through a microscope or a telescope and see the expanse of uh, the horizon. I don't know if you've had that opportunity, but the fun thing is the stronger the microscope, the more you start to see And I feel like that's the truth is the deeper you look into God's grace, and we talked about that in the last series that we were in, the greater you look, the deeper you look, the more you see the vastness of his grace. And that is the beginning of his plan. It starts with salvation, but it doesn't stop there. He didn't want to just save us and and redeem us to, to, to leave us where we're at. He saved us as we're going to see his plan includes some major changes in our life. Verse 12 says this, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. That's a tough task, isn't it? Look at the word that it starts with, training us. This idea, and that's one of the other big changes that's happened is now there's a new trainer in our life. There's a new teacher that's, that's shaping us and transforming us into his likeness. 1 Corinthians 2.12 describes this trainer in the Holy Spirit. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You see, when we've embraced Christ, the Holy Spirit works in us, he shapes us, he does the training, training to do what? What does it say there? Trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to renounce, the world renounce, if you think about it, it carries the idea of a, a conscious, purposeful choice. See, it's a divine human partnership. He's doing the transforming, but it takes our participation, Right? We don't just lay back and be like, all right, God, you do what you're going to do, and I'm just going to have no participation in it. This idea of renounce shows our active participation in it. But the cool thing is, is that he's actively involved in that participation even. He doesn't even just leave that to ourselves. Think about the role that the Holy Spirit plays in, in our life. Think how many times, even this week, you've heard that nudge that says, hey, you're not allowed to do that. You can't do that. You can't see that. You can't say that. You can't respond that way. I was on, I joke about it, but I was on the 101 this week and I don't know if you've had this instance where you're, you're merging into traffic and you don't realize that there's a car right there. And uh, I started to merge and the guy had to maybe swerve a little bit to avoid me. And, uh, and it was one of those moments where you're like, oh man, sorry about that. This guy would not let it go. He's riding my tailgate. He's he's. I'm looking through the rear view mirror, and he's he's definitely sharing some thoughts with me. He even he even comes up and starts. Uh, and, and you can see when this happens, you can get yourself sucked into it. Your your blood starts boiling. and You're like, hey man, cut me a break. And, and I start. I, I had that this desire internally to show some uh, some sign language I learned early in life. Uh, but. <laughs> But, but th- thankfully, be encouraged, that, that wasn't part of it. Uh, but, but here's the thing, is there's that voice that says, Scott, you can't do that, you can't do that, just, just let it pass, let it, let it go. There's that voice that, that, that happens throughout your week, and my hope and my, my prayer is, is in God's plan for your life, in his transformation of you, in those times where he's giving that little stirring, that little voice that we're, that we're listening because what's the outcome, what's the desire, the right way to live? He doesn't, just, he doesn't just warn us, he also empowers us, introducing us to an alternative way to live. Look what it says, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. How many times already in Titus has the word self-controlled come up? How many things hinge on that simple statement, self-control, having control of yourself? Not just going wherever the impulses or emotions take you. Self-control is a huge part of the life of a believer. And that's what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. I was trying to think of some practical applications for this. Because what, what does it actually say there? It says a renounce ungodliness. The idea of renouncing ungodliness. What are some examples of this? It's, it's hard to think about ungodliness without bringing up that nice box that seems to sit in each one of our living rooms, in each one of our living rooms. There's a box that sits there that reflects some images that we see and some sounds that we hear on a weekly basis. I was just convicted of that. You might remember... Uh, the commercial a couple of years back, there's an example, I forget what the advertisement was for, but it had these different images of uh, a, a person's living room that had like a battle scene going on and shots being fired. Then it moves into their kitchen and there's somebody, there's like a motorcyclist. I forget the, all the details, but the point of the commercial was showing how TV invites things into your home. Do you remember this commercial? I was thinking about that, even as it relates to the things that we allow ourselves to watch on that television, which things are, who are we allowing, who are we inviting to be present in our home? Would we let somebody that talks like that? Would we let somebody that shoots like that, 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 that that's living that way, like would we invite them in? Would we, would we give hospitality to them? So my question here isn't to get on a soapbox, but my push and my little nudge is to say, how are we doing on that? Rustling through that my wife and I rented a movie on Friday night we got too lazy for Redbox and so we actually rented online on the uh, ability to watch there anybody else get like that you don't feel like driving and uh and we rented. it and you've spent the $4.99 you start watching the movie 10 minutes into it Adrian and I, I was just like I can't watch that man it's just garbage but it's 4 dollars and you're like no I don't I, the cheap side of you kicks in right and uh And and, and we're like, we're we're just shutting that, it's just shutting it down, renouncing ungodliness. That's what the Holy Spirit's been convicting me of. I don't know what he's convicting you of. My hope is, is that in that transformation, in that part of his plan of making some major changes in our lives, that we're listening to those nudges in our lives. Verse 13, we're gonna see here, maybe some encouragement that his plan is, isn't complete yet. Take a look at what he describes, what needs to happen. Waiting, we're here waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Although his plan is unfolding in us on a daily basis, we're still in that waiting period. We're waiting for that blessed hope. It's fascinating to me how many sections of scripture point to this blessed hope, whether it's the hope of heaven, we talk about that often here in church, or the hope of our returning Lord. Just to clarify too, just based on a couple conversations uh, I've had since the, I talked about heaven is for real, do you guys remember that a few weeks ago? I fully support maybe that kid had a real clear vision of heaven. I'm not saying he didn't. I think God can reveal whatever he chooses to a kid. I'm not debating that. My point in that in that conversation was saying this is that don't define our understanding about heaven by a child's account. So just just to be clear on on that, uh, just a a little backdrop, is that okay for me to say that? Uh, Sometimes you're misunderstood up front, and so I just like to be clear. Um, But this idea here of waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, the first time that he appeared, take a look back, glance back in verse 11. The first time... For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all, to, for all people. The first time he appeared, it was grace personified. The first time it was grace personified. What does it say now that we're looking at the text in verse 13? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. First time, he was manifesting grace. He was saying, listen, that's the first step of the plan is that you receive grace. The next time that he's going to appear, he's coming in glory, which is exciting. We're not going to have a revisit of a broken Jesus coming off of a cross. He's coming as the risen king, and that's what we're putting our hope in. That's the, that's the hope of his glory. That's the, the blessed hope that it's talking about the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This, this is a huge deal in the life of a believer. 1 John 3 2 points to one of the reasons why we're looking forward to this hope. Beloved, you can look it on the screen there. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's what we're looking forward to. Our transformation isn't complete yet. It's still in process. There there's still work that needs to be done. It's still coming on the horizon. I love that. I love that reality of what we're actually clinging to. That first idea of first part of his plan is grace, but the glory of God is going to be evident. That's what we're putting our hope to. When is that going to happen? There's a lot of debate about that. There's lots of conversations about the Lord's return and timeline stuff. And, but the one thing that I do know is true, Luke 12, 40 says this, you also must be ready... For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's the one guarantee. He's coming, he's coming at a time when we don't know, it, when we aren't expecting it, that's when he's going to return. My question to us and my question to me as I was wrestling through this text, I spent a lot of time in a, a section of scripture in the course of a week was, how does that change things? How does that change things? With the eminent coming appearing of the glory of God, his re- the return of Jesus Christ for his chosen people, how does that change the way I live and respond now? How does that influence things? We don't know when he's coming. He could be back anytime, could be this afternoon, could be before the bald guy stops talking. Who knows? Like he could come at any moment. How does that change the way we live, the way we think, the urgency in which we interact with our our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers? What does that change? My prayer is that we'd wrestle through that, how that influences the way we live. It could be encouragement that his plan isn't complete in us yet, that there's still some work to be finished in each one of us. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not finished yet. Your neighbor's now saying, I know, I know, I've seen it. It's not done. It still needs to go back in the oven. And, that, and that's the point that we see here in the text is this idea is his plan isn't complete yet. So what do we do? How do we live in between those two appearings? The appearing of grace and the appearing of his glory, his return. How do we live in that, that gap, that period of time? I like how Spurgeon describes it. He says, behind us, our trust, and before us, our hope. That's where we're living right now. Behind us, what we've placed our trust in, Jesus Christ. Before us, our hope still in Jesus Christ. That we're, that's where we're living, in that middle ground. So how do we live then in that middle time in the plan? I'm glad you asked, because that's what the point of the next section of text says. Verse 14. His plan for us while we wait, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people that is his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. The word redeem there is that's used is the word lutro, which means to release a captive. To release a captive. I like that, that picture there, but then you ask yourself, a captive to what? What are we being released from? What are we being set free from? What does it say in the text? Redeemed, released from lawlessness. Usually when our culture defines freedom, it's saying an absence of laws and rules. We see that as the freedom, like, oh, I'm no longer under the law, I'm no longer under that. But what he's saying is I'm setting you free from lawlessness, the absence of laws. Does that make sense? He's saying that true freedom, and if you're really gonna experience freedom, there are laws in place. There is a king in place. You see, absent of Christ, apart from him, we're our own God, we're our own king, and we set our own laws. But what he's pointing to here is that now, when we've been redeemed in that present state between his first appearing and his second appearing, is we're waiting for him to play the role ultimately as king, is that we can start doing that now. We can start putting those boundaries, those laws in place I uh, have had the privilege, I don't know how many in here have had the the privilege to do a trip of Hawaii before. Uh, I've been to Maui. Uh, My dad actually had a timeshare there that he would thankfully share with his kids. That's a good thing if you're older and you have kids. We like that. Uh, How many of you have done Maui and done the road to Hana before? Now, love that love that drive, super windy, you get all the, the cars sick going through there. I remember our goal was to, uh, my wife and I went with another couple, was to jump off of every waterfall on the way there, very fun, and, uh, but that, that trip, it comes to the end at the, like the seven deadly pools or something like that, uh, whatever those are, maybe they're not deadly pools, what are they called? Sacred pools, okay, so <laughs> sacred pools, uh, you come to the end of, of that drive, and at the, at the end of the drive, you come to this, this cross point where it actually has a sign, I think if I remember correctly, that it, it, it warns you that your, that your vehicles are no longer insured past this point. And that's like an invitation, you know what I'm saying? For any of you, else of you that has a little bit of a rebellious bent, so we just keep on trucking. We're going to keep on going. And I'll tell you what, this road, we start winding around, and you come around corners, and you're like looking over the side. Anybody else done this drive, or is it just me? Uh, And looking over the edge, we were in a Jeep, and we're like, man, we could really easily slide off that and, and fall to our death. And, and, and so I remember like, man, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. You know, you're looking down. And, and I thought that was what a great picture of us, apart from the guardrails of God's grace and his love, the laws that he's put in place. So many times outside of the church, people are like, oh, you have all these rules or things that are, that are keeping you from all the good stuff. That's a complete misunderstanding of what God's put in place. He's saying, I know the best way to live. And here's some guardrails that are going to keep you from crashing, that are going to keep you from derailing, from falling off the cliff. That's what the boundaries are for. That's the existence. That's what he's setting us free from. That's what he's releasing us from is lawlessness but not just from lawlessness, he also has something that he wants to do that for. It says, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's an interesting thought, interesting statement that he's in the, you're in the purifying process. You're running through the, through the Hinkley, through the filter right now. That's what you're doing. He's purifying you. Why? For his own possession that weird to think about yourself? You're like, man, I'm not owned by myself when I've submitted to Christ. I'm his possession. He owns me. I'm no longer, I'm no longer myself. I've been bought with a price. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 talks about this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Again, that you may proclaim the excellencies, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." That's what he's called us to. That's the possession that he's taking. He say, "Listen, I've taken you out of the darkness. I've taken you as my little my little group of people." And what does it describe in our text here to, that he's invited us to be a part of? Now that we're his, that we're that we have some boundaries in place, the king's in his rightful spot. Then he says this. He says, "People for his own possession, who are zealous for good works." Zealous for good works. I think that's a cool picture. You don't usually think of, usually in, in most circles, good works are like, okay, he, the, the church asked me to serve. I guess I'll do it. Like, uh, I guess they need some more people to help with the tea. oh brother. But, but, but no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying zealous. The word zealous, the whole idea of zealous is that you're excited about it. You're passionate about it. You're saying like, listen, I've been set aside for this. For one for a variety of good works, that, that's why he's done the purifying. That's why he's done the, the boundaries so that we're zealous for good works. Trying to think of an example of that in my own life. My wife and I have talked about this before. Before we moved here from Chicago, we had an interesting living scenario where we—Adrian was a resident director. I've talked about this before at a university, Judson University, in a freshman girls' dorm. So we lived in a freshman girls' dorm. I'm secure enough in my masculinity to say that, and uh, and uh, we lived there. And the month of August was always the month that we like dreaded the most because it was when all the RAs were coming back for training and all the students getting back and all the quietness of summertime when it was an absent building had come to an end. We're like, okay, here we go. One of the fun things is every single year, I believe it was every year that we lived there, my wife's parents who live in Canada made it a special uh, made a special trip down and stayed with us for three to even five or uh, weeks longer. And their whole commitment while they were there was this. Zealous for good works. They just showed up with arms, the sleeves rolled up, and they're like, all right, what can we help with? I mean, they help with things with the students. They help with watching the kids. They clean they windows, and underneath the, they literally would move out the stove and the fridge, and like they were like, game on with the acts of service. I was like, man, what a beautiful picture of the zealous for good works. They would go from one thing to the next to the next of ways that they would serve. I just wonder as a church what that would look like if we as a community, a body of believers here in little Agora Hills, California, were actually zealous for good works. If we're just like, all right, what's next? What are we getting after? What's the next crazy thing they're going to come up with for us to serve? Because I'm ready to go for it. You know, like what would that look like? I think it would change this culture quite a bit. I think it would change this community quite a bit. It would change a lot of things if we lived out his invitation, his plan that he's put in place. This group of people that are together for his possession that are zealous for good week, for good works. What would your week look like? How would that look different? How would things change? I'm pretty confident, pretty drastic. If we were zealous, not out of an obligatory, but because we're so passionate about the plan what God's done for us, the salvation we've received, it's an awesome thing. Zealous for good works. He ends with a little bit of a, a, a challenge, actually, probably more specifically for, for me, because he's talking to a young pastor there. He says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. This idea, this idea for a pastor or someone that's presenting to uh, or, or investing in a group of people, he's saying, Listen, Stay uh, declare these things declare these things he's not saying declare your opinion or your thought or your topic that you came up with some of you might have been coming here for a while and you're just like man there he is again he's in another book study he's just studying the the bible just working through a text uh, there we go again like uh, why doesn't he talk about something that uh, else and and I'm like guess what like that's what I'm called to that's what I'm called to. The authority to exhort and rebuke is solely in the word of God. It's not based on my opinions or my thoughts. There's no grounds for that. But here I am on a week, to, I'm just a tour guide walking you through it. I was trying to think of a, of a picture of, of my role as in, in this particular position. When I was young, my mind takes me weird places, so bear with me. So when I was young, I used to love playing a uh, wiffle ball with my dad. You know, the really big red bats, the ones that are like this fat on the, the, the end, and then a the little ball, they, he'd do these lob pitches to me. And the thing that I loved about it was because every time you swung, it was basically impossible to miss. It's basically like you could just, he'd do one of these lob pitches and I would swing for the fences and I would actually connect with that crazy little white ball because why? Because the bat was so huge. It was, it was massive. It was impossible to mess up. And I was thinking about that and as it relates to here on a Sunday morning, what it is that I'm trying to do is, you know what? I, I'm, just, I'm just lofting those little white wiffle balls for the Holy Spirit. I'm just taking God's word and saying, all right, Holy Spirit, you hit that ball wherever you want it in these people's lives. You knock it home, you you send it home. It's a a pitch that he can't miss because his word, as we've learned, doesn't doesn't come back void. It doesn't come back void. And that's why each week I'm trying as best as we can, working through text, working through scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So the only authority that I have is this. This is the only authority that, that I have is God's word. That's what I'm trying to be committed to. So this, this picture that he paints here in this text, I think is a wonderful overview of God's plan. Just recap, just briefly, his plan starts with salvation. His plan starts with salvation. If you're here and you haven't gotten that piece figured out yet, if you've never bent your knee, if you've never embraced Jesus' death as payment for your sin, one, one, I hope this is a safe place where you can investigate that, where you can ask questions, where you can get some answers, where you can, where you can listen to, to God's word being taught, taught week after week. But my hope also is that that question, that decision doesn't just sit there looming, that you do make a choice to, to say, you know what, I am gonna step out in faith. I'm gonna embrace that. I'm gonna embrace this plan rather than my plan for fixing myself. I'm gonna embrace that plan so that's the first part of his plan as we've seen. It also involves some major changes as we've talked about in our lives. There's some, there's some shifting, there's some things. If you're looking at your life and you're like, yeah, I, I embrace Christ, but really nothing's changed in my life. That's a problem. There needs to be a, a growing transformation into the likeness of Christ. There needs to be a, a shedding of some of the old and some taking on of the new. That's part of his plan. That's part of his plan for your life. But be encouraged, as we mentioned there, is that it's not finished yet. That he's still, we're waiting for that process to be completed by the return of Jesus Christ. And the last thing there that we saw is that how we wait, how we wait is important. That we allow the guardrails of his law to be in place where we're not just doing whatever we want, whenever we want. And that we're zealous for good works. I had a fun conversation, we'll close with this, with our kids last week. We tried a little exercise, and uh, we started the day, I said, all right, guys, we're going to try something different today. We're going to try to do a lot of just, each one of you, I want you at the end of the day, because I always get them home at the end of the day. We have a nine-year-old, seven and six, is that right? Yes, five, Uh, and so, uh, brain, brain, brain. and so I, I always get home and I'm annoyed because I ask them about their day and they're like, I don't know. Like anybody else have that with their teenagers too? Uh, but uh, but I, was, I was like, you know what, today when we get together at dinner, I'm gonna ask you, what were some random acts of kindness that you did at school today? It can be your teacher, it could be another student. What are you gonna do today? I wanna, I wanna hear about this, being zealous for good works. Like what, what's that gonna look like? And uh, it was kind of a mediocre response, I'll be honest. <laughs> at the end of the day, I think one of them remembered Uh, if they were honest, uh, but I was thinking about that as a church, I'm like, you know what? There's not a lot of times that I ask you for feedback, but I'm gonna give you all a homework assignment. You guys ready for it? I would like to hear this week on the bottom of your notes every single week, there's my email address. I would like to hear some accounts of some good works that you did this week. This is the one free pass, it's not considered bragging, okay? This is the one free pass, this is you living out, not being hearers of the word, but doers of the word, not hearers, but doers. So I would love to see some emails to me this week of like, these are some of the good works I did in high school. I'd love to hear from one of you guys from high school and, and like, okay, this is something I did. I took a risk. I, I, I did this. For some of you, some of our senior saints, like uh, I would love to hear some things, some ways that you stepped out in acts of kindness this coming week and tell me about them. And I'll share about some of them next week. I won't mention any names because we're not trying to praise people but we're trying to spur each other on to love and good works. That's the idea here. So there's your homework assignment. Let me pray as we conclude. God, we thank you for this text, and I thank you for the amazing reminder that you do have a plan in place, that as we mentioned earlier, we're not left floundering, that you are reigning over all. And even in the things that we don't understand, when we run it through the filter, of the fact that salvation is in place, that eternity is secured if we've embraced Jesus Christ, that changes everything. Changes how we see things drastically. I pray that this, this plan would be a, the, the foundation of the way we do our lives, that we're, that we're intentionally making choices to resist worldliness. God, that we're, we're looking, that we're zealous for good works, that we're consistently listening to your Holy Spirit's promptings in our lives. God, as we acknowledge so often in this room, we can't do any of this on our own. We're desperate for you. God, I just pray that you'd wake us up to this, that this would be something that's active and moving in this body of believers. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen. Not our will, but yours be done. That's what we're talking about this morning. It's his plan. Let's make sure this week that we're zealous for good works, living out his plan in our lives. I pray you have a wonderful week in the Lord. If there is something we can be praying for you about, please feel free. We'll have some leaders available here in the front to pray with you. Don't not take advantage of that. God bless you.